Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is B.J. McDonald, a veteran camera operator and occasional director. His second feature film, Studio 666, is a horror comedy about the Foo Fighters trying to record an album in a haunted house. It's bloody, it's ridiculous, and it's kind of adorable, honestly. And it's opening in theaters across North America this Friday, February 25th. BJ picked a movie that needs no introduction, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's glorious reinvention of the action-adventure epic. You know, it's the one where Harrison Ford cemented his superstar status as swashbuckling archaeologist Indiana Jones, battling Nazis for the legendary Ark of the Covenant, while also reconnecting with a woman from his past, the scrappy Marion Ravenwood, played by a wonderful Karen Allen. If you haven't seen it, I can only assume you've been locked in some underground antechamber your entire life, so go see it. Then listen to the rest of this episode. This is someone else's movie. You know, it's funny because I think that like with Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was actually one of the first movies I remember seeing in the movie theater, and my grandfather uh, took me to see it, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and it's strange because I think about that movie, and I it actually has like the adventure, the action and actually horror elements that I actually, you know, with everything I love, it's kind of like the combination of all these things that I, that I, in films that I like, it was just a perfect mix of everything, you know? And, and I think that's really what I love that movie so much. I mean, there's so many movies I could say I love, but that one, because of the mixture and because of the things I really like to do, that one sticks out for me. Yeah. I I think I told this story on the Graceland Kung episode where we tackled Last Crusade, but I I don't think I've ever had a better experience in a movie theater than Raiders. I saw it right. two days before it opened. I won tickets on a radio call-in thing. I was, it was 1981, so I was 12. In June of yeah. 1981, I was still 12. I turned 13 that, that August. And yeah. all I knew was it was a premiere, so my younger brother and I went down and had no idea what to expect. And it was a packed sold out theater in the, the Eglinton theater of, of blessed memory in Toronto, which is this great big movie house with a mezzanine and, and a huge screen. And you could sit wherever you wanted. We sat all the way in the back because that's where the, the seats were by the time we got there. I think we were probably last in. Right. And it blew the roof off the place. Yeah. It was like, people were cheering and screaming and clapping and laughing. I have, I have had great experiences in movie theaters, but I think that might've been sort of the, the perfect one. Right. Yeah. And, and so it never, like, it just never diminishes for me. And, and having revisited it dozens of times, most recently in the summer when the 4k came out, yeah, it holds up. I mean, there yeah. is not a beat that doesn't work in that movie. I know it's like one of the, per- it's like one of the most perfect movies. I always say it's like, for me, like with elements, everything involved for like stuff I love, it's perfect. You know, I, I would always say like, Die Hard to me is the best action film, just script wise, you know, and just like the situation that's going on, the character development, all that's fantastic. But like, that's a pure action film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a Christmas movie. I'll say that for people <laughs> who, who want to. I say it's a Christmas movie. Uh, people might differ. But um, Raiders just had everything that I really enjoyed. And even my family made, you know, basically put me in a, in a Christian school, like kindergarten through eighth grade. OK, so strangely enough, like. You know, when I started realizing and reading stories, it, it was more of a, a also uh, real thing to me because of the history of what, you know, like with Nazis and things like that back in the day, they really did go looking for artifacts. And yeah. 
they were religious artifacts and I would learn about the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, in, in the Bible. And I'd learn about like, you know, and later on with, you know, uh, last crusade that, you know, going for the cup of Christ and just, it was just kind of neat how, you know, the writers took real uh, elements and, and created a script and an action film around like the search for these certain things of like domination. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's got just enough of the seventies still in it that there's a little paranoia and a little mistrust of authority, but also right. the sense that, no, we kind of have to ground this in something. This has to be yeah. on some level believable. And of course, having Nazis as the villains, although I suppose now it's difficult to say this uh, as, as innocently, it's like, it gives you a really simple unambiguous enemy there. There's like a clear line between good and bad and yeah. even though, you know, the title of the film also includes Indy, he is one of the raiders. He's one of the grave robbers going after this thing that should be yeah. left alone. We're on his side because, I mean, A, he's played by Harrison Ford uh, and, of course, you know, charismatic as hell. But also he's pitted against the greatest evil human history had known at that point and probably still. Right. And yeah. it's really simple and it makes things so much more interesting when Billock turns out to be working with them, right? The shadowy reflection right. who we meet in the prologue and complicates everything by having a sense of decency, but working with monsters and throwing himself yeah. in with it. And now, right, we, we've got plenty of, <laughs> we have plenty of real world examples of that. But at the time, yeah. that was really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was just a, a great mix and just the storytelling alone of each person had their own, you know, uh, what they were going to get out of it, you know, mm -hmm. and even in and and uh, I just thought the character development in the whole thing was fantastic. I love the Marion's like him meeting Marion again. And I love the introduction of her being completely drinking someone under the table. <laughs> I thought was so awesome. And it's just I mean, you got to think about the time when they made this film, too. Like and it's not that long ago, but still it's like compared to nowadays, everybody has these CGI movies and blue screen, yada, yada. You know, we, we that movie was so practical, you know, and built the sets and you had snakes with plexiglass between you. And, you know, they built all the, the, the skeletons and the tombs. And, you know, it was just that's like a such a feat that some people like nowadays you don't see that all the time. You know, I appreciate it when I see a movie that actually has built like the real sets and really made it feel like it's a real movie. Um, not to go off topic, but in Toronto, I was up there and I did Shazam. Oh, right. Uh, That's right. I, I was a camera operator in Shazam. And I was so impressed. That, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of blue screen in that. But our final, like, you know, uh, showdown was we we had a real fairground. Like, we didn't cheat that. Like, we smashed a whole Ferris wheel for real and <laughs> did it real. And it's you don't see a lot of that nowadays because people go, ah, let's do it on blue screen. You know, we'll, we'll do it on stage. So back then for indie, like all those sets, could you imagine like how crazy and like that must have been to like oh, the well of the souls, right? That giant statue that he topples by climbing up. Like that's all practical. It's all real. Yeah. The, the, um, the scale of it still plays. And, Huge. and part of it is the lighting too, where there's real yeah. shadow involved and dimensionality. I, I mean, I just saw a movie yesterday that has, five or six sequences of a character in her apartment overlooking Manhattan. And I'm pretty sure it was a set. Yeah. We just, yeah. I mean, we're there now. We don't, we don't need to shoot on location if we don't have to, but yeah. watching people interact with stuff and climb things and scramble on things. And, and of course, like Spielberg is such a natural with the camera. His instincts are unparalleled with like the work that Douglas Slocum does uh, with him. It's, it's virtuosic. 
Is that yeah. even a word? Um, I'll take to it. To show us, like to show us the spaces, to show us the threats that yeah. lurk in the corners. I mean, the, the, the well of souls scene is great because the snakes are slithering everywhere, but then yeah. they're also coming out of holes and oh, yeah. threatening and dropping on people, which turns out to be part of the plot because that's how they get out. And everything yeah. leads to the next piece. You know, the, the beauty of the film is that we feel like we're following the mysteries along with Indy and solving them as he solves them. We're never ahead of the characters. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's a good thing too, like with, with filmmaking is that you got to always, you got to get away from just face, 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 you know, it's mm-hmm. also like, let the set play out with what's going on let the audience figure it out because you want them to play along with the whole thing. And it's not, you're just not forcing. It's exactly what you said, but like seeing the snakes come through the holes, well, they got to be coming in from somewhere, you know, let's do it's It's, it's really, you know, it's a very well-made script. And, you know, again, it's just when that movie comes on, I, I'm, I'll sit down. I'll watch it over. And over. <laughs> it never gets boring. Ever, ever gets boring for me. You know, to see that film, it's just always an adventure. And then I always go, you know, like, and, and I love Temple of Doom. But I would say if, if you sit and you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then you just follow up with Last Crusade, it's like one of the best, like, super long movies you could ever, <laughs> you could ever watch. Those two, I think, you marry those two together, and it's just like it's the biggest adventure film ever. You know, in my opinion, you watch that. And and even then it feels like there's so much great you know, practical sets and the things that they did. You know, we started getting further in in time with with how effects were being done, but we still they still had built sets, you know. Um they went to Petra, you know, to for the for the exterior for that, yeah, that, yeah. that natural exterior. I mean, that's awesome because a lot of times now it'd be like, Oh, we built it on the sound stage or the back lot. No, they went to this place to see the real thing. And, and at that point, I guess. You know, you can find anything on the internet now, but that was like, when you saw that, you're like, whoa, that thing's amazing. That's like, that's, that's real. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the I remember one of the time consuming things that they talked about in Raiders was removing the TV aerials from all the houses in Cairo for that one oh, shot. Right. And yeah, exactly. Cause that, that would have been a giveaway, but now you'd paint them out, I suppose, digitally, but yeah. it's just the idea that no, nothing was easy on this one. This was the one where they had to find solutions. And as it turns out, because Spielberg was coming off of 1941, yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't an expensive production. The, the sequels all cost far, far more. So he's actually right. working with he's doing a globetrotting adventure movie. And, you know, he's not doing it on the cheap, but he is doing it for far less than he probably should have. Yeah. Right. So every moment of inspiration works its way in because. What's the easiest thing to do? Well, we have a crowd of 200 people. Let's give them baskets. Let's make that a thing. Let's turn it into maybe not a slapstick, but almost like a Jacques Tati level of complication. Um, uh, when I was writing my review of, of West Side Story, and I, I realized, you know, like Spielberg had never made a musical before. But yeah. if you look back at his filmography, there's the jitterbug scene in 1941 and that turns into a fight, but it's still musical. There's the Anything Goes number that opens Temple of Doom. Yeah. But Raiders has two and maybe even three scenes that actually play like musicals with the music cutting to the action, the, the market chase, market chase, the truck chase, which is, I still think the greatest thing he's ever done as a filmmaker, because there's no dialogue. It's all action. It's all intention. And it's funny as well as thrilling. It's just, I get sucked in every time. And I always forget there's a second act. Yeah, I know. It's great. And it's funny. Like you mentioned like the humor that's also in there. It's just, it's so like well done because it's, it's not, you know, and it's again, it's not in your face, but you get it and you watch the scenarios that get, you know, people get in like Indy when he ends up on the grill of the truck and he goes down and in return, he ends up putting the driver on the grill yeah. of the truck and then that's it. You know, it's like, it's just kind of fun to watch like how that, how those things, the situation plays out. And, you know, 
I, I just think it's just such a well-crafted action sequences are so good in that, you know, and I, and I think for me that really, it kind of like, you know, when you're young, it molds you into what you like the movies you kind of love, you know, and I think it was a comparison of like, you know, watching that movie um, and then getting into the horror genre stuff when I would watch HBO. Cause I watched that all the time. And it would just, you know, that's, it all kind of came together at that point, but Raiders, man, it's so good. You know, I love that ending scene too. It's so awesome. It's so epic. That yeah. is huge and epic. And stuff that I, I don't think I'd ever seen before. There's the tease halfway through the film with the clouds over the, um, the well of the yeah. souls when they, when they find it, but it. It's like of, the cloud tank. The cloud like tank they, well, effect. Yeah. Yeah. They did a cloud tank effect for that. And I think back then that was pretty, you know, like that's, that's like, I guess maybe that was like the early stages of sort of a CGI or, you know, digitally enhancing stuff. But like, you're like, wow, that's crazy looking. The whole thing just kind of, you know, the way the cloud is and just using the cloud. I, I love cloud tank stuff. Like, I think it's just neat looking, like making the sky just look unreal. Yeah, you know? it, it is. It's unreal and it's threatening and, and angry in a way that starts. I mean, it it beautifully sets up the tip towards the final act of the arc is supernatural. There's something going on with the arc. I remember at the time, the guy next to me at the screening was mad that it wasn't a monster. That it wasn't oh, some really? sort of ancient thing in a box. And this is a year before Creepshow with the crate. I, you know, that guy was happy when that finally showed up, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, he was like, yeah, he, he jumped in the theater. It's the Oscar yeah. winner. <laughs> That's what it should have been in a box. That's what it was. But the idea that that God that God could be a real force or that religion can be provably real in this universe. And and also that Indy has now encountered by by the time Last Crusade comes along, he's encountered all the major world religions pretty much and yeah. found that they're real. What would that do to an archaeologist? They never deal with it. And I really wish they would at some point, maybe the new one will, but I really doubt it where, you know, what kind of path do you pursue when all of the religions are right on some level? What does that mean to something? I know. Where, where does your belief go at that point? And I mean, honestly, if, if, if in the real world, if you had found the Ark and, and what happened at the end of that, you'd probably quit your job. <laughs> and not ever do it again and never want to ever go on any more adventures <laughs> because yeah. it's so scary and and like just going like you know probably shouldn't mess with this tapping into this seems a little too much because it just shows who the real winner is in the end is like what's going to happen if you really dive into these into religion and and you mess with god's creations or things that were put on this earth you know it's like i'm gonna step away i'll go i'll go find some other artifacts i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna scoot away from religious you know real stuff or if anything, he'd be the foremost expert on religious things. He would turn towards that entirely and be a really annoying debater. Yeah. I love the ending of that film too, like where the warehouse, where it just shows you in that big pullback and it's just like, well, what's in all those crates? What is, you know, because you, it's like with the Area 51s and the things you want to know and like how like, you know, you, we see these, these UFO videos now and things are kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, is that real? You know, the way they left you feeling in the end of that movie is that pullback in the warehouse is like, wow, this there's so many stories you could tell here um, with what's going on. And I wanted so bad for the fourth Indiana Jones movie to be about redo, like do, like going back and dealing with the arc again. There was I wanted that so bad. But yeah, it's in there, but they just didn't care. There. Right. Like that was the problem. They've uh, we return to the warehouse and it's such a letdown. And I think too, like aliens or non-terrestrial or whatever, you know, like multidimensional creatures, it's just not, it doesn't make sense to that world where we've established yeah. all the supernatural stuff and all the paranormal stuff. I mean, if anything, aliens are for somebody else, right? Like I it should so. be like, 
I don't know where they're going to go with the new one. I don't know what the point is of the new one. Uh, other than, you know, they're like, actually going to go back to like some kind of like the old school style. I feel like a lot of people are learning that if you kind of go back to that feeling, it's like, it's like the JJ Abrams thing. So we had, you know, we had star Wars and everybody loved those all the way to return of the Jedi. And, and then you get the the newer ones, which people are, were pretty let down. And it's almost like a no brainer formula that if you just go back to what people see, like you go to Jim Henson studio and you make the real creatures and you set these real situations, you make a cantina, people going in and out of the real, like we're talking about making real sets. You're almost going to win every time, you know, cause that's what pe- I think people want, especially nostalgia wise, people are going to want to see that. And I'm hoping that this new Indiana Jones movie kind of goes that route, you know, like, and it's not going to go so blue screeny, you know, get kind of weird like that. Like, where's my remote control to play this video game kind of thing. That's my hopes. And I feel like people are kind of, you know, getting onto that a little bit more, you know, really going back to just make it like it was. Well, it's the legacy sequel thing, right? There's like scream is all about that. And and a couple of other things have just shown up lately that sort of hit the same buttons where it, it's not enough though to just say, give me more of that thing I want. You have to find a context that makes sure. it work and makes it play. And and again, like an older Harrison Ford playing indie at this point, I just, I'm trying to figure out what they could peg it to. Is it the sixties? Is it the seventies? Is it a paranoid government thriller? Cause that would be interesting. But, yeah, right. uh, but I've, I have learned that what I want is almost never what the movie wants. So <laughs> I, it's just a question of waiting it out. And yet, you know, Spielberg's just demonstrated that he has, the chops of a man 50 years younger and he could still pull off a full on active musical like West Side Story. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. The only yeah. thing I'm worried about is yeah. Crystal skull kind of really, you got a lot to claw back from and yeah. hopefully they will. I, I, I want to believe I want it to work because, because yeah. Raiders is so special to me. Yeah. hundred percent. It's almost funny. It's like, I was just thinking we were talking about that. Like, what if they go straight up Logan style where Indy's almost like Professor X where he starts to lose his mind, but he's like, <laughs> you know, and then someone else is dealing with him. It could be kind of amazing going that route <laughs> with playing yeah. that eight, you know, I mean, who knows? It could go really weird. Yes. Um, but or yeah, I, I, I just, again, going back to it, the movie's just so well done and so well made. And there's a feeling like those movies, it's hard to capture nowadays too. I, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I go, is it the, film stock they use was it because they shot on film you know i know it's because but what we talked about was like yeah it's it's you know built sets and it's a real world environment it's not made up but there was also something back in like the 70s 80s with the look of films that i always feel like it's hard for people to capture it nowadays and i don't know i don't i haven't quite put my finger on the pulse and even for me like you know as a camera operator also like coming up from the film world and going digital it's like you know what where Films don't have that same feeling anymore. And it's very rare you see something like that that gives you that same that same you know feeling and tone. Yeah, it's not just texture. It's not just grain. There's something going on. It's the lighting package and the film. Lighting, the, film yeah. The only present day, and it's not even present day anymore. It's probably 12 or 13 years ago now. The only film I have seen that comes close to approximating the look of some of those early, like specifically Close Encounters, because that was the goal, is Richard Kelly's The Box. Right. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but but he and his DP found a way to do the the blown out crispness somehow. And it looks oh, right. like a film that's set and shot in 1978, 79. That's cool. But that's the only example I can think of. 
Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be lighting and lenses and things like that, that the glass that they had back then, or, you know, it just is like, it's hard to find that feel anymore of, of the look of these films. And honestly, like going back to Spielberg, his play on shadow work, I think is amazing. Like just showing yeah. stuff like the iconic figure walks up, you see a shadow, the shadow lifts the hat up and puts it on, you know, those kind of things. Or just when they're carrying the arc and you're watching the shadow of that going through the firelight, you know, it's just such good stuff. You know, it's, it's without showing it, you're showing it. It's so cool. Yeah. And he sort of sets the stage for that by showing Indy from the back in silhouette in the prologue, right? It takes the full credit sequence before we see Harrison Ford's face. Yeah. I also feel like that's the first time they've used a logo that turns into a mountain. It you know was. how like, yeah. like, like, you know, like Universal or whatever, or Paramount will do something where it's like, it'll start with, you know, the logo of like their, of their company. And then it turns into what the set's going to become. And I feel like the first time I ever saw that was Raiders of the Lost Ark because the Paramount logo turns into the mountain that they're overlooking in the jungle. Yeah. And it would happen in every single episode of the series. I'm kind yeah. of curious to see how, like, Oddly enough, that's what I'm most curious about for, for five is, does it acknowledge, you know, modernity in some way or in the present day or, or the transitions? Because that can be fun. But yeah. it's just a genuine inspiration. It's like a moment in the film that just says, look, we're going, we're self-aware. We are going to be having fun with this. I think it is the first self-aware blockbuster. It's yeah. certainly the first one I'd ever encountered. And, and it was the one that said, you can do this if you're good at it, if you're yeah. clever. And it, it was summed up in something Spielberg said at the time. He said that they wanted to make uh, they wanted to make a, an action hero cliffhanger character who falls off the cliff every now and then. Like they wanted him to be fallible. Right. And well, he's of snakes. You have an archaeologist who's deathly afraid of snakes, you know, and then you and then you end up in the well of souls looking down and the lightning and stuff flashes. And it's like, oh, snakes. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like. It's so funny because it plays on his like, you know, paranoia of certain things that he's scared of. And I love, you know, you see that too in this, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's just one more way that he's fallible, flawed human. Like he bruises and bleeds. He gets hurt. Um, He, he inflicts far more damage on other people than he, than he gets himself. But there's just that, that wonderful line. It's not the years, it's the mileage where you just watch Harrison Ford be tired in an action movie. Exactly. Again, they wanted to differentiate from him from Han Solo that way because um, the Star Wars films are, you know, Luke gets his hand cut off the year before it gets right back. But in the next scene, he's fine. Everything is going to be fine. These yeah. movies, Indy is as a character. Yeah, I mean, over the over the decades, it gets preposterous watching him because because the other problem with these films is you have to escalate in order to deliver something more impressive yeah. to the audience. But Raiders. Like, where do you go after God saves the day? Where do you go after that climax, after the the resolution, the clean, perfect resolution of Raiders, which is that this is real, this is incredibly powerful, and no one will ever hear of it again. It's going in a box. It's, I mean, yes, okay, it's a Citizen Kane reference. And another thing that I find absolutely fabulous is that we are as far away from Raiders now as Raiders was from Kane, generations removed. It's just unbelievable that I am this old. but. it's so <laughs> smart and historically conscious. Like it knows film history. Yeah. It knows human history. It knows it, it has that 70s cynicism of the good guys won, but it wouldn't matter. Like it won't help because the, the problem is, and this is something that we keep coming up to. Like I think Dr. Who clarified it as fixed points in time where you cannot change the outcome. And it's not because 
time is immutable, it's because audiences have expectation. We know America isn't in the war yet, but that it's coming. We know that World War II is coming and Spielberg's not going to get around that. So how do you do it? And the answer he came up with is so simple and so pure and so cynical that it sends you out on a high, even though it means that nothing has changed. Like the world is going to roll into war. How do you do that? I know. Going, you know, going off of Raiders, which is funny, we talk about things that follow historical events, and this might go totally off the rails, but have you seen The Kingsman? The new I have, one? yeah. I thought that was really cool how they kind of played on history with that, too. You know, I mean, they delved in their own kind of world, but like with Rasputin mm-hmm. and Rasputin and like what was going on around that time. And even if you look at like kind of what happened to him and like you read about history and like how it kind of folds out, they still kind of looked into like what historically happened or like what was going on with like the poisoning of like certain, like of, of, of the, of the, I think it was cookies or cake. I forgot what it was. Um, and then like the battle and like what happened to him. It's like, it's kind of cool. And then all the characters they had involved with that, they also went kind of like in a weird Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, like historical way. And I thought that was kind of fun seeing that recently. Cause you know, I, I can't recall right now, like recently what I've seen, that's kind of an adventure movie that also tries to kind of put in some historical events and characters in a movie. I love the rap student character. He was awesome. <laughs> oh, it's Reese Evans. Yeah. Who should be in a Raiders movie at this point, Dude. an indie movie at this point, he's got the right attitude for it. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's funny. Almost immediately. I think after romancing the stone, probably. It's another From, movie my grandfather took me to see in the theater when I was younger. Delightful film. And, and Zemeckis was a Spielberg protege. He yep. turned it into a romance in a way that Raiders wasn't and, and a comedy in a way that Raiders wasn't. And that sort of redefined the adventure movie right off the bat. So everything yeah. that followed has really been more along those lines. While I guess the the Raiders stuff was more like more obvious knockoffs like King Solomon's Mines and all the stuff that oh. Canon and New World were producing because it was cheap. You had standing sets and you could Alan just- Alan Quarterman. That's like a one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those Which were I, satisfying. I really love in a weird way. It's like, it's so funny. And it's also, they played on the the whole, like, you know, back in the 80s, I feel like quicksand was a huge threat. Everyone <laughs> was right. of it. So of course, Alan Quartermain and, you know, uh, that whole thing, they had the whole quicksand scene. I remember that kind of scarred me as a kid watching that, even though the movie was so like silly. They had that that part in there. It's like, oh my god, it's probably like never ending story to you going to that with the horse and the quicksand. You're like, oh, oh. God. everything was quicksand was a thread. You had to, you had to watch where you walked. Yes, <laughs> things were so much more traumatic in the in the 80s when we were kids. Uh, oh yeah, it was scary. It's, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Quicksand has sort of disappeared, hasn't it? I think it's because it's not really a thing. But you yeah. you believed anything in the 80s before the internet. I would have bought oh, yeah. it. Oh, I would. I'd, yeah, if you go too far in there and you don't check your, you don't have a stick, you better watch out that sand it might <laughs> might eat you alive. You know, it, it was a thing back then. Quicksand was scary. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's quicksand in any of the Raiders movies, in any of the indie films, which I think is for the best. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe we'll get it in the new one. Maybe we're gonna yeah. have a quicksand sequence. Yeah, oh, God, it'll turn out to be alive and it's a thing, and that's the big bad oh. or something. Oh there's, yeah, 100%. there's no way around it. So to pivot ridiculously. There is no quicksand in Studio 666, but it feels like there could, could be. be. It's the kind of movie that allows for it. Like It is a feature length goof on itself, I think is, is safe to say. And it's, Probably. again, it's a movie where you are invited to have fun along with the characters and along with the people behind the camera. Um, so how do you get the tone right? How do you find a way to do that and, and convey it to the audience without turning it into something that you can't take seriously at all? You know, we talked a lot about the tone when we got together. Me and Dave were talking about uh, how we wanted this film to be. And, you know, Dave Dave and I agreed we wanted to make sure that 
you know, with my background working in horror films that we had to make sure that we got the horror portions of it right. And at least fun, not so like, not dead serious, but at least there was moments where it was actually, you know, legit scary. We played the dark, dark, you know, and we, and we, and we went that, that way being that it was a band film. And we both talked about this too. is like, we wanted to recapture well, we kind of lost, you know, with the monkeys movies and, and, and the Beatles and kiss, um, you know, because no one makes those films anymore. And we wanted to kind of mix those things together. We wanted to make a band movie with music involved, but also horror, uh, a whole full horror and like gore elements and all together, mix it in a pot. But it's hard to get the comedy, you know, tone along with the horror tone um, all blended together. And that's a really, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go overboard um, with what's, with, with what you're doing. You have, you, you can't like have the guys wink at the camera because you know, yeah. then you just, you just killed the movie. Um, they have to play the thing dead serious. Even with the way the movie looks, we had to play, I wanted the movie to look dead serious, like nothing, nothing brightly lit, nothing comedy lit about it. Um, but also capturing the Foo Fighters old school video styles, like the Everlong videos and, and just the, the videos that they had fun with. Um, so it was definitely hard to try to mix those things together and get it right. But once we got everybody on board and we got like the right team involved, the right crew, people that I trusted, that Dave trusted, um, you know, getting the guys comfortable with acting, you know, and just letting them be them. You know, that was the main thing. I was like, you guys just play yourselves. Don't think that you're making a character. You're going to play yourselves. And if the script says this, but you would really say that, say that Mm -hmm. it's going to be funnier. It's going to be way cooler. And it's actually going to shake off any nervousness of trying to be an actor. Um, and I think that also helped a lot by letting them play themselves and let them be them. As long as we kept going with what we were trying to do script wise, we didn't go off the rails. So I just really, for me, I, I went more of, of what I've learned making horror films. Um, and I've also done a bunch of comedies too. And I, I, I know how to let the guys riff and do that. And I think that actually all that together, you know, panned out and we got the vibe right. Yeah. I just had the sense that everybody is having the absolute best time playing with muck, like playing with the special effects and playing with the foolishness of, of a demonic possession comedy, rock yeah. and roll documentary. Like, I don't even know how to explain it because I have been trying to describe it to people and failing miserably because it's just like, all you need to know is that Dave Grohl is having the best time yeah. and it becomes like, it's, it's contagious. I, I just, yeah. I really, it's so very silly, but in the best possible way. And it, you know, you have, um, there's a confidence in the way it all comes together. I think that, that sells it, that makes it possible to believe in all of this. Um, even though once again, we're, we're dealing with a death cult and a, and a, a bizarre haunted house kind of story. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's an Amityville movie with rock and roll, but I, again, like it's not cause it's smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, it really helped also on set. Just we, my our main thing was we're going to have fun. If we weren't having fun, then why are we doing this? You know, and down to not only the actors and the and what we were filming, but you know, down to the crew behind us and everybody. I've never been on a set, or I'm not say never. I've been on very few sets where people come up and say that was the best job I've done in a long time, and I really wish this would never have ended. I've, and for me, there's only a handful, you know, this was definitely one of them. You know, there's other movies I've done that I go, this was like the best time I wish this wouldn't end, but there's so many movies. You're just like, Oh my God, we're on day 60. It's like, you know, when's this thing going to end? And it's just so brutal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way it is. So I think everything, even, you know, down to like what we had uh, script wise, the guys, everybody, it's just all around 
the love of making this movie, I think also helped with what we, what, with what we put out, you know, everybody involved. I, 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 you know, the actors and the crew and the producers, everybody, music, everybody. And you get to hang out with John Carpenter for a couple of days, which feels like when it happens in the movie, like uh, the movie is happy that he's there. I mean, not only is there a, a musical contribution, but he shows up in the film as, an, as a recording engineer. And again, it's just like, I'm so, I'm just glad to see him every time he shows up. I know, you know, he's not making movies anymore. He's doing his own thing. He's making music. He's a rock star. He, and he's enjoying it, right? Like he's, he's finally getting this third act in his career of just yeah. being loved for what he does yeah. and the movie yeah. loves him and like, it just feels warm and nice to see him show up. And I, I, I can't describe it, but you know, as somebody who grew up on his movies too, it's, yeah. it's just so nice to see him still kicking around doing the thing he does. We, you know, that was a huge thing for me when we were talking about it because we it, ideally it started off talking about how we were hoping we could get, you know, you know, John Carpenter to write the theme song and, you know, yeah. Dave and everybody, we reached out to him and, and he was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's going to be awesome. Um, and I think it's because uh, Dave helped out Daniel Davies a long time ago, like taking him on a tour, I think is what happened. And then it was kind of a favor. Like when we called John's like, you helped out my, you know, my kid. And then, and then uh, I want to help you guys out. Then we were like, let's see if we can go further. Let's see if he'll come and actually just be in the movie. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, I'll come in there for like a little bit and do it. And so for me also growing up as one of like the major influences of the, of the horror genre of the films that I grew up loving, um, having him was one of those moments that I was just like, it almost didn't feel real. And by the time that we got done filming him, it was one of those things where I kind of had to walk off the set and like, like just go have my own moment just to like kind of take a deep breath and go, did that really just happen? Because for me, it's like, how do you, how do you direct John Carpenter? You know, yeah. I, I mean, because John Carpenter is basically one of my main, you know, like influences in this. So how, like, how do you go about directing him? It was actually very scary for me, <laughs> but when he came in, he made me feel really comfortable and he was really great. And I, you know, then I just went back to what I was doing and, and uh, it went along great. So it, everything came full circle for me as the kid who watched his movies to having him on board doing a, a score and also being able to direct it, to direct him in the, in the film. Oh, that's nice. And you can, you can have Spielberg in the next one. Oh man, that would be <laughs> really right. Yeah. I've worked with Spielberg. <laughs> it's a, yeah, he's, he, I don't know. He'd be, that'd be a tough one. I, I really, I really enjoy Spielberg. He's really great, but uh, I don't know if he, yeah, it would be hard to, to direct Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> I think I would like to think he'd be open to stuff, but also would also have 10 better ideas, no matter who he was working with. And you would just kind of quietly yeah. see if you could pull them out of him while you were standing around doing the lighting. Yeah. And just be like, yeah, that was my idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That was my idea. Just, just do that. Mr. Spielberg. Yeah. That'd be amazing. My thanks to BJ McDonald, whose new movie studio six, six, six opens in theaters across North America this Friday, February 25th. Thanks also to Liana Cohen. She knows what she did. You can find BJ on Twitter at BJMcDonald1, all one word with the numeral one. And you can find Raiders of the Lost Ark in 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD editions from Paramount Home Entertainment. It's a really gorgeous restoration. It's also streaming on Netflix in Canada and available to rent or buy on most VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast every Friday in addition to writing far too many words about movies and television. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Simcast. S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. 
and check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.